God, as we come into this season of thanksgiving, God, I pray that we would just be thankful for not just the things that we currently have, not just for food or family or gatherings, but more importantly, God, that we'd be thankful for everything that you have done for us. God, as you are our provider in so many ways. God, I pray that your words would speak today and not my own. God, that you would just impact us in a way that would impact this lost and dying community around us. My God, I pray for your words to speak and not mine. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're not familiar with like me, and, and obviously I haven't been here all that long, but I, I've never been much of a topical preacher. Mostly I, I like to preach through entire letters of the Bible, and, and so I thought, you know, this will be a fun challenge. because. But I wanted to talk as we move into this season of Thanksgiving, and often we call this Thanksgiving Sunday because Thanksgiving's going to happen this Thursday, and, and if that surprises you, then you better get to Winco <laughs> or make plans. So, But often I, I started to think in the concept of, of when we look at God as our provider and what exactly is it that God provides? You get, don't steal my sermon points. But no. <laughs> God provides us in so many ways, yet Oftentimes, do we really stop to consider all that God is providing, all that God rather gives for us? Oftentimes, and I'll look at this a little later, even with the, the person of Lot, is what we are given doesn't always look that great. It doesn't look comfortable. It doesn't look fun. It doesn't have all the glitz and glamour, and yet God is still providing He's the giver of all things. And I thought about for this first one as I titled our, our series, The Giver and the Gift. And yes, we're going to talk about the Christmas gift that we are setting forward to do over these next six weeks or more that we look at first what God provided. And, and you might think of that rather strangely, but we look first through the Bible just how God provided throughout the Old Testament. Because what we think about God matters very much, and how we think about God generally affects how we live, how we practice, how we continue in God's great provision. If God is our Jehovah Jireh, our provider, God first gave. In the book of Genesis we see, just going to jump right into this point here, God first provided us life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. Yahweh provided life 
He created all the earth, the heavens, etc., and did so in six days. I know some in the world want to argue over that, but we as Christians, we as, as those who have committed our life to Jesus Christ, those of us who have been baptized in Christ, we understand that God gave us life. And it reminds me even of that song, it's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out my life. And even that, the phrase of that song, it just reminds us that it's God Almighty who even allows us to breathe right now. Whether how good or bad or in between, uh, it, God provided it. He gave it to you. And which means that it, how we think about God as the provider, the giver of our own life. All that we see, all that we hear, all the things, the, the things we complain about, like the rain. <laughs> Who in here loves the rain in southern Oregon because it makes everything green, but it's not fun to stand in sometimes. And if you love to golf or you love to do anything outdoors, rain can really set things in a negative light. Unless you're like me and you don't know how to control the spin of a golf ball, rain can help it go from going too far. But God provided life. I love the rich history of the book of Genesis. That, that Moses receives all this information that he actually starts to write down, right? And, and, and God provided, our second bullet point, a promise through all this. That even in that promise, that promise even begins very early in Genesis. He says that 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 though he will, the, the serpent will bruise the heel and the, the offspring of Mary, or the, sorry, the offspring of Eve will stomp on the head. And I love even that, that phrase, it's the first messianic promise that we see. That phrase actually means to snap, bruise, or break. I love it because we all bruise. And I'm like, no, snap. Let's get aggressive with it. That's what Jesus does on the cross. He snapped the slavery of sin that exists in this earth. And he provided a promise that from the inception, from the beginning of everything, when Adam and Eve failed, and how many of us fail, right? Every single one of us is a product of some failure in life. You can accept it. It's okay. I'm one too. But from the beginning, God saw all of that in all his fancy words of omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience, and all the old BBC words that we were taught by Kenny Beckman or people like that. That in all of that, God sought fit to place a plan of salvation and then give that to Moses later. And you imagine the scene that Moses is receiving information from God as a burning bush and from however that all worked and the, and the tablets of stone and the more information and all of these things. And he write all this down record all this i'm giving you the promise and not only that but all the oral tradition that had happened up into that place and when you think about all of that you think about abraham and that first 
that first promise to him when he was still Abram, a man who I'd say a young man, but at 70, I think six years old, right? He's a young man by those standards. Some of you guys who are in that age range go, well, praise God, yes, I'm a young man. But he gave him a promise. He told Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That even God, through this whole beginning, I want us to see this picture of God as the giver of all things, but in through the whole point that he's providing, he's providing. I'm not to that Bible verse yet, but oh wait, I am actually. I got to forget that I double, I print things on both sides. And it says this in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed that I will make you this great nation God provides and promises. And can you imagine the confusion on Abraham? God is promising me to make me a great nation at mid-70s. And Sarah, as you read later, she has a good old belly roll laugh of this, doesn't she? Oh, I'm going to be pregnant? Ha! <laughs> That's great. Can't wait to see that. Here's my handmaid. But even in the midst of all this, Abraham receives a son of promise. And Abraham, even in the midst of this, he trusts God. And it says in verse 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75, see I'll split the difference between 74 and 76, years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to the land of Canaan. When he came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem and to the, oh, uh, to, to uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I did that, at the time uh, that the Canaanites were in the land. And then it continues in verse 7, then the Lord appeared to him and said, now, now, notice this, brothers and sisters, my friends here today. To your offspring, I will give this land. And Abram, I wonder, just partially, if Abram's like, awesome, we're here. But that's not what the text says. To your offspring, I'll give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. But from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar, it says. He built an altar of the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And, verse 9, interestingly, Abram journeyed on, still go, going towards the Negev. So Abram's been shown all the land that his offspring will acquire. But he doesn't stop. He continues to trust God. He continues to move on towards whatever Yahweh God is trying to show him. Whatever this provider, this provider of a promise, the giver of a promise has, has told him, I'm going to make you a great people. Uh, pop quiz. Did Abraham die with 
multitudes of children. No. He died with one son of legitimate promise and another. When Abram tried to take it into his own power and his own mind and his own hand to do it. And if you're a fan of history, you know what happens. Still seeing the, the impact of that to, the, to this day. But still. And I love that Abraham didn't do it perfectly. Right? Because how many of you are following Jesus perfectly right now? And I'm not saying that, oh, look at you. Look at me. I'm so glad that God doesn't call perfect people into his service. Because there would be nobody on this stage. Ever. But in all of this, Yahweh makes a promise to Abraham and shows him the blessing of the land, but doesn't allow him to settle there, but continues to move him on. Yet God is still the giver of promise to Abraham. So much so is Abraham's faith that the author of Hebrews writes this about Abraham in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, By faith he went to live in the land of promise but not as its owner. Notice it says, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why? Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that had foundations whose designer and builder is God. See, Abraham is, is, is mentioned in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews in the, what people call the great hall of faith. And, and what's fascinating about the book of Hebrews, when you, when you go throughout all of these, these positions and these people, I'd rather say, in the book of Hebrews, it says that they all died not having seen the fulfillment of the things promised. Yet they trusted. They truly trusted. I mean, the, I'm not going to make you memorize this word, but the Greek word for, for faith, pistuyo, is also the same word we use for trust. An active verb. It means that we're actively pay, placing trust. And you think about that as, as all of these generations of people throughout the Old Testament that we're so blessed to have recorded for us to read. And the vast majority of that is just within the first two books. The history that we're talking about is literally just the first two books today and a little bit into the second book, but mostly Genesis. And our third bullet point is we look at how God's provision, God's gift, God's giving to this future nation of Israel also came with God provided protection for the promise. We got to remember the promise. See, the promise never was really a nation. That was how the promise was going to come, was through the nation of Israel. A lot of people misunderstand this when they go through the Bible and Israel this and Israel that. And, and I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying God doesn't love them. It's not concerned. That's not what we're saying. So don't leave this place and go, Pastor Matt hates Israel. That's not true. 
However, Israel wasn't it. Who would come through Israel is it. And even to a level that, brothers and sisters, is so amazing to me, is that he provided protection for that promise. And I don't think I threw this in there because, honestly, I don't have time to cover that many chapters of the book of Exodus or the book of Genesis. But Joseph, who comes through this line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, yeah, you probably maybe heard it sometimes like, look, God wants to bless you, and if you sow a seed, but that's not what Joseph was for. If we truly understand what God's point is, and, and it's fascinating that in the beginning of Genesis, he gives a promise, and then as we get closer to December you know, 25th, it's an important day for us, the New Testament begins with the giving of the promise. Everything that happens in between is how God is protecting, providing, continuing to direct and move in history and all these different things to protect the true promise that is Jesus Christ. See, even Joseph and everything that Joseph, I mean, you consider, did anybody go through worse things in that moment? Here's the younger son who's given a, a coat of many colors and it's beautiful and he's a little arrogant right he's a little arrogant he's like oh brothers you should know the dream that i had and you were all stacks of wheat and you bowed before me and and you know if you're if you're judah how are you gonna feel this twerp i have a younger brother right some of you know him but I have a younger brother, and what would it feel like if you had a younger brother, younger sibling, and you're growing up, and you're working hard as the oldest, and then all of a sudden, your youngest brother, who doesn't have to do anything, his hands aren't calloused, or anything like that, comes up, and he's like, by the way, you're going to bow down to me one day. Oh, yeah? All right. We'll see about this. So his brothers concoct this plan and think, you know what we should do? We should just sell him into slavery. And any of us who have younger siblings, we probably have thought of that as well. But it's kind of frowned on. So they do that, right? And then Joseph goes into Egypt, and he goes into Potiphar's house. He's lied about. He's thrown into prison. He sits in prison for a long time, right? And then he's remembered. Pharaoh brings him out. He, he does that, puts him back in, brings him back out. And all these different things go on. And then eventually Joseph finds himself as this, this prominent leader, second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt, and providing also that his brothers and his father in the family of Israel, which had grown exponentially by that point, would be protected during a time of famine. And you know what's amazing is Jesus doesn't even come from the line of Joseph. Does he? Whose line does Jesus come through? Judah. Judah. On one side of the family. You'll have to read where he comes from on the other side of the family. But he comes from the oldest brother's side prominently, just like David does and so on and so forth. 
and so on and so forth. The way you look at God, the way you look at how God provides, protects, all these things is to accomplish his will. His will is to send Jesus Christ to the earth so that people would be freed of true oppression, not your finances, not the government, though some of us would like that, not other things, but to be freed from the true oppression that is sin. The one thing that removes us from God's presence and keeps us away from him that was redeemed by the fact that Jesus Christ lived a sinless, spotless life and died on a cross, was buried in a grave, but praise God, the grave could not hold him and spat him forth on the third day. That if we would believe in him and be baptized in these waters, that Jesus Christ cleanses us of our sins. But what's fascinating about that is ultimately God being Jehovah Jireh is ultimately about providing the promise of our Savior. But additionally, how we look at that matters. This great hall of faith that all these previously mentioned people are included, including David, right? You know what's fascinating about the level of trust that they had? Is they all breathed their very last breath, not having seen it. And I thought about in the relation to how we trust God today, is sometimes we have to die to truly see what God is working. Now, I don't mean necessarily, now actually, no, I'm going to stop myself. For when we go to heaven, brothers and sisters, unless we get to live to that day that Jesus comes back here and, and comes and gathers us up and, and takes us with him, that we'll actually get to see that. But many of us will die here in this place, not maybe not in this pulpit. I hope to die in this pulpit, actually. That'd be kind of neat. Be a great sermon. For me, for you guys, it'd be terrifying. But in that moment... When we die and we get to wake up and be with Christ, we will know fully what we only know dimly now. And some of us in our situations live in that kind of place. We live in a place where as we move into our, our so what about you moment, God is the Jehovah Jireh of all. All provision, both of our stuff, but also of our salvation. I know that's a hard shift. I apologize a little bit. But we need to understand that God gives all. It says all throughout Scripture. I find it fascinating that even with the story of Lot, here's a guy, right, who completely was innocent in the eyes of God, right? And Satan comes waltzing into heaven, and says, yeah, but it's only because you've blessed him. So he lets him take away and do all these things. But what does Lot say in the end of all that? Job, I'm sorry. See, I'm not perfect. <laughs> By any means of that mention, Job. I got some funny looks. I see it now. I see why. Why does Job have such faith? Because he could say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes, but blessed is the name of the Lord. 
Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. So we come to in this, so what about you, so what about us moment that we, we come to every week. Maybe a shift in how we think needs to be where we come to. Maybe today you're in here and you've lived your entire life saying like out there, I believe in God, but do I trust in Jesus Christ? See, in the end, when Jesus utters those phrases to Nicodemus in John 3.16, right, his, his big issue is not belief in the sense of what the world sees belief. His big issue is trust. I don't trust was Nicodemus' big issue in that moment. Do I trust that Jesus Christ came to die for my sins? Maybe it's other situations that are going on in your life. Do I trust that God truly is in control of what's going on in my marriage? Now, understand, brothers and sisters, when I say I trust that God is in control doesn't give you freedom to just continue to act like a fool. Right? I trust God, but I'm going to continue doing what I was doing all the other time. You know what that's called, by the way? To do the same thing over and over and expect a different result? Stupidity, Stupidity insanity. Yeah, I, that's probably good too. <laughs> but do I trust in the sense that I am willing to commit to change patterns in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit to decide to love my wife, to love my husband, to love my children, to be sacrificial towards them. Because why? We'll get into some more of that next week. Because God gave it to you in the first place. Brothers and sisters, we're getting ready to go into this, and I didn't bring the little envelope on there, but you got that envelope today that says the Christmas gift. You see, is it, I mean, and we're blessed today to have one of the people that we're, we're given to, and, and Bob Woods here, the director of OCEF, and uh, you guys know him. He was the pastor of this church for 16 years almost, and, and his wife Sherry is here who, I, we don't have time to describe everything she, she does either for the OCEF or that she did for Redwood Christian Church, but we are thankful to have them here today, and they are part of the mission that we give to as a church. We give 5%. To the OCEF. And this year, as you know, in, the, so in our Christmas gift, we are talking about giving some money to the OCEF for Upward Church right over here, our sister church in Medford, Oregon, so that we can help pay for the salary of Al Dietrich, their pastor. Right? We're talking about giving some money to Hidden Valley High School for their football program. We're talking about putting some money into our welcome center that needs some attention. But do we, for one moment, really think that it's just about raising funds to give to people? Or is it about something deeper? Is it about what we understand that God wants to do right here in Grants Pass, Josephine County? and to the rest of America. See, in the end, my friends, it's a little bit less about how much money we, get, we can raise and more about how many souls we can see brought into Christ through this place. I want to point on this, and I wish I would have taken some pictures, but just this last Friday night, we had upwards of about 100 
people from Hidden Valley High School in our gymnasium for their their end-of-year football banquet. Do you believe that I just wanted to open that space up, that we wanted to open that space up so people would have a warm place that they're not rained on? No, I, not even secretly, I publicly want them to become followers of Jesus Christ. And if that means we can give them a couple thousand dollars to help with something just so that they might fall into our little trap, not that it's a trap, that we might even see one of them come to Christ, it would be worth it. The same thing we're talking about with Al, same thing we're talking about with our Welcome Center. I want to see thousands of people come to Christ in Medford, Oregon, don't you? And I don't mean just come through these waters. But like we're talking about now, we want to love God, create disciples, and change lives. We want to see marriages change. We want to see addictions done away with. We want to see everything that comes through being a believer in Jesus Christ happen in this place and in this community. And I totally believe that we can do that through this. I was going to point this out. It's, it's our number one on our challenge points is how can I trust the giver? Maybe it's something as simple as you're going to commit to the Christmas gift this year. It's simple. It's not mind-blowing, by the way, which none of the things are here. I'm not that smart. Maybe you're going to commit to give to the Christmas gift. I wanted to point this out. Everybody says $10,000 seems like an insurmountable amount. Did you know that if everybody committed to giving $25 a week over the next six weeks, with about, there was 96, peop, 96 adults in church last week, which, by the way, praise God, that's an uptick. That would be, in six weeks, $14,400. What was our goal? 10000 with our miracle goal of 13000 Is that doable? Maybe you can trust, moving forward, to give $25 a week over the next six weeks. And if every one of us were to do that, we would blow this gift out of the water. And then we'd have the, the struggle of what do we do with the excess? Praise God. <laughs> to show the love of Christ through our efforts and our extra offering and giving. This is an extra offering. This is not what we're including in our normal monthly giving. You can, by the way, you can go online, and we're going to work on that with our website, you can go online into support down below, scroll down and give, and there is a drop down for the Christmas gift on our online giving right now. You have those envelopes. I'm not asking you to fill them with cash or anything today. I'm asking you to take it home and pray about what God wants you to do with that envelope. Maybe you could commit to actually becoming a giver in general. I don't know where each and every person stands in this church about that, but I know that God blesses those who give. And that's not, by the way, a big financial statement. And as our worship team comes forward, so I don't stand here and hog this stage any longer, maybe the second thing you could do, or maybe you do both, is you commit to trust God in a situation or problem that you're facing right now. I like to call problems opportunities. Because I love to see what God can do in them. 
Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's seeing a friend, family, or co-worker be baptized. Maybe it's to give to the give you the words, the timing to speak to somebody that you're desperately praying for to come to Christ. Maybe it's that you just trust God in prayer for people that you're trying to lead to Christ. Maybe right now in this time of thanksgiving, you need to just give thanks to God for what he's doing. But my prayer for you this week, and let me just close this sermon in prayer, and we can pray more. Because you know what? What is one of Redwood's core values? Are we a people of prayer. God, I thank you so much for the opportunities that you've put before us, both the ones that we see as blessings and others that sometimes seem like curses. God, I pray for those who are in this place today, those who are watching online, God, that you would draw them unto you, that they would become more and more committed to follow you all the days of their life. God, that they not only come in and believe these words that we're reading about today in your text, in your words, but that they would go and share this with somebody else this week. Invite somebody to come here and see what Jesus Christ is doing at Redwood Christian Church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.